We're in chapter 2 of Mark. You can turn down the Bibles if you would like to. Um, I'm going to read just this first little section, and then we're going to just, just spend a little bit of time just chatting about it. So, chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathering together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when he had made an opening, they let him down, let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves and said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? What is it easier to say to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never saw anything like this. John Newton, the writer, well known, of course, for the the hymn Amazing Grace, he once upon a time was a rough sailor with a foul mouth, an appetite for rotten living. He, he hated life, and I guess life hated him as well. He, he earned his living as a, as a, basically as a, a guy on a slave ship, a captain of a slave ship. However, he had a mother who loved him, who shared about Jesus with him while he was a, a child and who prayed for him regularly. One day, a man came to him and gave him a copy of a book called The Imitation of Christ. And through that book, John Newton became a Christian, and it changed him forever. He spent the rest of his life sharing his faith And he traveled all over England doing it. Even past after, even after his retirement, he carried on preaching. Such was his desire just to, to let people know about Jesus. It is said that in the latter years of his life, he used to bring a helper, an assistant, into the, into the, the, the pulpit with him as he spoke. He was nearly blind. He spoke in a whisper, but he could not help himself but preach while he still had breath. One Sunday, 
while delivering his message, he repeated the phrase, Jesus Christ is precious. His helper turned to, to John Newton and said to him, he says, you've already said that twice. He turned to him and said, I've said it twice, and I'm going to say it again. Rumor has it that the stones of that old church almost shook as John Newton declared, Jesus Christ is precious. Guys, there are many people who know and love Jesus who would also echo those words. And the gospel writer Mark would certainly have been one of them. At the end of chapter 1, we have seen how Mark has told us about the signs, about the wonders that Jesus Christ has done, but he is constantly emphasizing that it is Jesus preaching that remains his priority. He is calling people to repentance, to this radical change of life, of, 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 repentance is turning turning away from our sin. It is turning away from our rebellion against God, against our ignorance of God, and turning to Jesus and following Him as our Savior, as our Lord. And Jesus' name needs to be proclaimed. But I hope also you've noticed that in chapter 1 that Jesus would not let just anyone proclaim it. The demons... He told them to be quiet. They're certainly not credible witnesses, and certainly they could not ever be relied on to give an accurate account of the gospel. They are liars because they follow the, the prince of lies, Satan himself. But also, neither does he let those who have just been healed go around telling people that Jesus was just some sort of miracle healer. He doesn't want people just to look to him for short-term physical gain when they have a much greater need of long-term long spiritual healing. But Jesus does care about every aspect of a person's life. And we've seen that. We've seen that how he, has, how he has healed the minor ailments like Simon's mother-in-law's flu, but also how he has dealt with more serious diseases like leprosy. And now as we get into chapter 2, where we are this afternoon, we will see how he heals a man who is paralyzed. This man, he has not moved for years, maybe for his lifetime for all we know. And Jesus heals him. He heals him. But this healing, this healing is the first of five stories that we will see through chapter 2 and into chapter 3, which, ha which shares one common element, controversy. You see, Jesus and his disciples are really beginning to challenge these religious leaders. They're getting seriously wound up with Jesus. They don't like the way he's acting. But what Mark wants you to see, that Jesus, that in Jesus, something new 
has begun. So I want you to imagine the scene for a moment. The room is packed full of people. They are squashed in. They are all listening. They're all straining to hear the words of this now famous teacher. And there's a little bit of scratching going on in the ceiling, and people are, nobody looks up just yet, because they're just concentrating on Jesus, and then a little bit of dust begins to fall, and then plaster is coming down, and people are watching as the ceiling is being ripped apart and ripped open, and the hole gets bigger and bigger, and then a man is lowered down through the ceiling in front of Jesus. We're not told how the house owner responds to this. But what is going to happen next is even more shocking than this vandalism that has just happened to this poor guy's house. This man who lies in front of Jesus, every eye in that room is now watching. How is Jesus, or what is Jesus going to do for this desperate case of paralysis? Surely it's obvious. Surely he is going to heal this man. And then, and then Jesus speaks. He says... Your sins are forgiven. Guys, this is shocking. This is just incredible. In our modern minds, it seems just a bizarre thing to say. Surely this is seriously inappropriate. Does Jesus not see this man's need? Does he not see what's going on here? This man, this man is, he hasn't moved. He's trapped inside his body. This is serious stuff. Is sin really that serious? What lies behind that question is perhaps our misunderstanding of sin. You see, very often in our minds, we we view sin as as, as, as sinners, as, as people who are murderers or rapists or child abusers. And if we don't, sort of don't tick any of those boxes, well, we're, we're probably okay. We're probably feeling pretty good about ourselves. The truth of the matter is we are liars and cheats and gossipers. Boy, we love to gossip, don't we? And, that, you know, the, the reality is we, we've sort of redefined that in our own minds, and that it's not really sin, and it's not really destructive. It's just passing on useful information. And lying, well... Lying is just self-protection. And, and cheating and deception, well, that's, that's, um, that's just an essential quality for promotion within the workplace. And we can almost justify any sin, and we, we can think, well, actually, sin in itself, it's almost outdated. And for many of us, perhaps we have de- redefined sin something like this, that sin isn't really sin. 
unless you get caught. Any of you who have children may have seen this. I wonder how often you've looked into your child's eyes when they've done something wrong, just to realize that all, just to realize, so I have the guilt there, just to, just, <laughs> just to realize that all the tears and even the sorries are not because they have disobeyed you, but because they've been caught. I remember as a boy standing out with my brother on the wall in front of our house, and we used to stand there side by side and see how far we could wee into the garden. Not proud of it, but it's true. And in our minds, we're very competitive, and you've got to get the angles right. It's pretty key stuff, pretty important, and Wind conditions, very critical. It's not sort of thing you want coming back at you, if you know what I mean. But in our minds, we thought what we were doing was perfectly okay, was perfectly acceptable, just as long as we didn't get caught. And some of you have that childish view of sin. That sin, it's sort of okay. Just don't get caught. It's okay as long as we don't get caught. Guys, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's a second misunderstanding when it comes to sin. And again, we're, many of us are guilty of this because what we do, perhaps in a room like this, we have a little look around, or in our university, or in our schoolroom, or, or our workplace, we look around and think, you know what? I'm not too bad. Just look at everybody else here. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I'm a pretty decent person, you know. I give a bit of money to charity. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I look after myself, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm a pretty decent, just sort of decent sort of guy all the way around, at least compared to, to him. The truth is we can always find, sorry for that, we can always find someone who, at least in our minds, is worse than we are, might not even be true. The truth of the matter is, pigs could say exactly the same thing. You can imagine the pigs at the pig trough, and they look around at their pig partners, and they they think, you know what? I'm just as clean as everyone else here, if not a little bit cleaner. However, in comparison to humans... Pigs need some help. Listen, guys. We humans, in comparison to God, are no different. We need some help. And the standard of sinlessness doesn't lie in the, in the, the pig troughs of earth, but in the throne of God in heaven. God is our standard. He is our standard. He is holy. He is just. He is good. He is sinless. We're not. We're not. The French essayist, Michael, somebody or other, I can't do French names, sorry. He said this, 
There is no man or woman so good who, were he to submit all his thoughts and actions to the law, would not deserve the death penalty at least ten times in his life. Think about it. Think of all the stuff that sometimes goes on in here. Think of the stuff that you don't want anybody else to know about that goes on in here. Is there not some truth in that? The truth is our deeds are ugly. Our thoughts are even worse. Perhaps the Bible sums it up even more succinctly in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 when it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Guys, sin matters. It matters because God is holy. It matters because you're not. And we are separated from Him. The truth is that we we don't do what we want to do, and we don't like what we do, and the worst thing of all, we can't change. We can't change. Too harsh, you think? How about, can you, can you try and live without sin for one day, okay? Just one day, just 24 hours with no sin, no, no wrong thoughts, just live perfect lives for, for one whole day. Not a week, not a year, one day. Could you do it? No? How about for one hour? 60 seconds. Could you promise me that for 60 seconds you will do absolutely nothing wrong, that you will have no impure thoughts, that you'll have do no impure actions? Not sure? How about five minutes? Could you guarantee to me that in the next five minutes you will live worry-free, angry-free, unselfish living? How about it? Could you do it? No. Guys, nor could I. Nor can I. We have a problem. We are sinners. And the Bible tells us that there are consequences to being a sinner. In Romans Six, it tells us those consequences are death. They are separation from God. They are hell. Whatever your concept of that is, it's not a place you want to be. Guys, we need help. We need someone who can rescue us. We need someone who can save us. We need someone who has the authority to forgive. And Mark, Mark wants us to understand that Jesus has got an agenda here that goes way beyond miracles, that goes way beyond the healing of the sick, because his agenda goes to the underlying illness that cripples, that destroys every last one of us. Sin. See, being healed from physical disease can change a person's whole life. 
but the forgiveness of sin changes a person's eternal destiny. And our greatest need is that our sins are forgiven. And we, and, and we look at Jesus because Jesus is the only one who has the power and the authority to forgive sins. Listen, the teachers of the law got one thing right when they said only God can forgive sins. But what they didn't realize is that who Jesus actually is because God was standing right in front of them at that moment. And Mark wants us to see that these miracles, and particularly this miracle, is not just for the amusement or for the amazement of the crowd, but that they are sermons, they are parables in their own right. See, he's already seen already shown, Jesus already shown his God-like nature through his teaching, through his power over people, over sickness, and over disease. But in this claim to forgive sins, he goes way further than that. This is staggering stuff. This is amazing stuff. And the religious leaders just don't like it because they cannot for a moment begin to understand that this man could be possibly God's chosen king. So they're thinking, okay, Jesus, prove it. Just prove it. Of course, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. That, that's, that's pretty, nobody can check you up on that. There's no way, there's no sort of test you can do to see if it's actually genuine or not. Easy to say, very, very hard to do. So as Jesus reaches and touches and heals this man, as this man literally moves for the first time in his life, he picks his mat, he leaves the room. Jesus is showing that he can do the harder invisible thing by proving that he has done the easier but very visible healing. Guys, this is not exact proof, but it's very, very hard to ignore. And the people, they're amazed. They say, we have never seen anything like this before. Guys, don't miss that Jesus is so precious. Don't miss it. Don't miss him with all of his authority, with all his power, with all the healings, with all the teaching. Don't miss that he loves and that he cares for you, that he is precious, he is wonderful. Don't miss him in the busyness and in the, in the worries and the stresses of life. Don't miss what he has done for you. Don't miss that he came into this world and died on the cross for you. Don't miss him. Don't overlook him. When your heart really understands this, when it really sinks into your mind, what he's done 
the sacrifice that he has made, you cannot and you must not take your eyes off him. Cyrus, the founder of the Persian Empire, once captured a prince and his family. When they came, he brought them before him, and he started questioning them, and he said to him, he says, what will you give me if I release you? The man replied, I'll give you half of my kingdom. And if I release your children, he says, I will give you all of my kingdom. And if I release your wife, he says, your majesty, I will give myself. Cyrus was so moved by the devotion of this man that he let them, he let them all go free. On the way home, the prince was talking to his wife, and he said to him, said, what, wasn't Cyrus a really handsome man? She says, with a real look of devotion towards her husband, she says, I didn't notice. I could only Keep my eyes on you, the one who give, who is willing to give himself for me. Guys, please understand that all that Jesus does and says in this parable, all this talk about forgiveness of sin is only because of his love for you. It is only because of the cross. That is where we're heading. That is where Mark wants us to take us. That's where Mark, I believe, wants us to see in this talk about forgiveness of sin. It was only on the cross that Jesus paid the ultimate price. He took God's wrath in your place. He took God's wrath in place of this paralyzed man. There is great love. Surely we cannot and must not look at anything or anyone else except for him. I wonder, do you recognize your helplessness and your hopelessness this afternoon? Truth is, we all need Jesus. He is precious. He is our only hope when you are in need, He is sufficient. When you are helpless, He is your help. When you are weak, He is able. When you are alone, He is intimately present. When it seems darkest, He is the only light that you need. When you can't, he can. Guys and girls, if you don't know Jesus here this afternoon, in a sense, you are in a, in a privileged position because this afternoon you have the opportunity to respond to Him, to put your trust in Him. God loves you. He loves you enough to send his son, Jesus, into this world to die on the cross, to take your sin, to rescue you. And today, Jesus calls you 
to trust Him. Today is a day when you can be saved and rescued from sin. Will you answer His call? Will you put your trust in Him? Let's stand together. We just want to pray as we, we finish. The whole situation of our sinfulness is, a, is one we don't like to talk about much these days, but it's so important that we, we understand our condition before God, but also the hope that we have in God. God's grace is enough. He offers forgiveness to, to every one of us. It involves turning from sin. The Bible calls it repentance and giving our life over to Jesus. Guys, it's the best thing that you will ever do. It's life-changing. It changes your eternal destiny. So I want to just pray for us right now as we finish and just encourage you if God has been speaking, if you just want to talk further, that you either come and, and chat with me or, or, or perhaps somebody that somebody you know who is a Christian, you want to just talk it over. And if you'd like to just to meet with Jesus, it's just a simple prayer of faith when you invite Him into your life. So, Father, we come to You just acknowledging our great need of You every day. <laughs> every day. And I just want to pray for these folks here. I pray for myself that You would just be with us, just Holy Spirit, just rest upon us now that you would help us to examine our hearts in the light of your word, but to realize that our hope is certain and secure because of Jesus. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us, Jesus. Thank you that we can be forgiven. So, Father, be with us now, we pray. Help us as we, we chat together. Just go with us throughout this week, we ask. We'd know your blessing, your strength, your power. Just pray for Wednesday night as well as we, as we sit around your word again, as we in, in baristas at looking at Christianity Explore. Father, we want to pray, Lord, just for your blessing to be on that evening. But, Lord, we just want to say to you be the glory. Your name is the name above all names. Amen. Amen.